The following is intended only for mature audiences. Discretion advised. Spawnometer. I'm Diablo Frank. With me is Senor Fix It. Let me read you the solicitation copy for the issue of Spawn we're covering this time. As Todd takes time off to begin the Spawn Batman crossover, which means we'll be done with that fairly soon, he enlists the following talents to take over. Grant Morrison, another award-winning writer and former Arkham Asylum writer, will continue the story. Pencils are supplied by former X-Force penciler Greg Capullo. Dan Panosian, former X-Men inker, will finish off Greg's pencils. These three talents will maintain the groundwork that Todd McFarlane has laid down over the previous year. This issue will be another cool Spawn product that you will have no problem selling. The story involves Jason Wynn, Al Simmons' old boss, and a small town that becomes a porthole for the gates of hell. And let me give you a little bit more background information. Oh, I never put it in there. If I remember correctly, the story is called Reflections, Part 1 of 3, and I believe that this one was dedicated to Max Gaines, who was one of the pioneers of comic books in general, but in particular EC Comics. The horror comics. Eventually, we see... When, if I remember correctly, Max Gaines is the dad, and he formed educational comics, which were supposed to be like Bible stories and science stuff and shit like that. And then he died in a boating accident unexpectedly, and Bill Gaines' son took over EC and turned it into entertaining comics, and that's when he brought in the horror, the suspense, and the comedy stuff. Then they be eventually spin off to Mad? Yes. Well, after the Wortham situation mm -hmm. tanked the entire comic book industry, they found a new life by publishing Mad first as a comic book and then as a magazine to subvert the Comics Code Authority. And, and so I, that's what Bill Gaines did ultimately was most famous for was Mad Magazine. I just pictured the star going overhead. Da, 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 the more, more you, you know. know. So what, what happened to this issue? Spawn is now adamant of finding out who he really is. Real quick, I hated the cover of this issue too. Did you ever see the solicitation cover? Because No, um, but I, when I saw this cover, I was like, I remember why I didn't like this book. The first time I saw it was, I literally waited like three or four issues. This is the one where it's just, just sort of Spawn going, like throwing his hands over his head with his yeah, mask off. Going, it just, it's just very uninspiring but I just remember I saw this well at least like, it looked different though because Greg Capullo's artwork was a lot different than McFarlane's at that time true but it just turned me off real quick so I let like two or three issues back up and then when I read them I was like oh, Grant Morrison because I didn't realize Morrison had wrote it at the time did Morrison matter to you back then um, I think I'd already read Arkham Asylum wasn't he doing Aztec too no this was before Aztec was it before Aztec yeah this was years before Aztec he had written something else that I enjoyed but I can't remember the what. Gotham story the Gothic was story it? from Legends of the Dark Knight maybe okay there's some stuff I remember or maybe some of his you, Vertigo you, stuff you were the one that kind of pointed at that, No, 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 no. This was before you and well before you and I met. Really? This was still like 93, I think. So 93, whoever, 94. Whoever I was going to the shop with, they were the one that kind of pointed me toward Grant Morrison. Wasn't he part of the British invasion? Obviously, Vertigo was his thing because I don't think you would have gone to the 2008 East stuff. And yeah, Arkham Asylum, he built a house off of Arkham Asylum. Yeah, I just remember that was like a big deal. That was a huge deal. Anytime a single comic book pays for your house, it was a pretty big deal. True. Well, and that was the graphic novel that came out the year Batman, the movie, came out. Uh, a direct route to fans that was clearly very profitable. Okay, we really got to work on the Spawn thing, dude. <laughs> sure. Since you brought it up and I didn't get to finish, when they're originally notifying readers that 
Todd was going to be taking these issues off. There's an image of Spawn in an alleyway with a naked woman who is barely being covered by parts of Spawn's cape. And then her, clearly her attempted rapist is on the ground and bats are like tearing at his eyelid and basically torturing him. I think there's maybe a little too graphic for retailers. I think. And so that's probably why they went with the more, you say it was more of a generic cover. I thought it was a really nice Spawn pinup oh, no, no, image. No, no, just, but it didn't tell you anything about so the story. It's uninspiring. It was, I, if I saw that cover, I would have been like, who cares? It was just interesting because Spawn hadn't made a ton of appearances outside of the Spawn book itself. So we really hadn't seen a lot of Spawn drawn by somebody besides Todd McFarlane. So I thought it was a really nice looking image of Spawn by a different creator. Uh, someone a little more inspired than the Jim Valentino cameos, for instance. You can say what you will. It's a very boring I, I liked it. And I liked the coloring on it especially. Well, uh, okay. But, but the whole thing was cool. I really liked when Greg Capullo did the little GC icon thing as mm-hmm. his signature. I thought that was classy looking. I dug it. So basically I was trying to figure out where I guess his origins are. We're introduced to Jason Wynn who is showing the general how... General... I think it was actually... What, in Major Vale? Was it Major Vale? Okay, I thought it was Major Vale. They were testing a bomb in an underground bunker. It went off and created a hole they thought into another dimension but it turns out it was actually a doorway to hell and apparently Jason Wynn had made a deal with one of the demons from hell because they had sent in a team that they never heard back from all they had was some radio chatter about I think a river of blood and bats that or a fog that would dissolve your skin and they never heard from him so I, I'm assuming they eventually they made communication with the creatures from the other side who turned out to be some kind of like protoplasm or some shit where it's based off of emotion well, there's a substance called psychoplasm psychoplasm which according go. to Jason Wynn hell is made up of but it can bend reality it can become whatever you want it to be I think the way you say it is it, it becomes what you desire or what you fear and uh, obviously venom. it's very dangerous stuff very venom like it turns into whatever I guess it's, I'm assuming it's just a big world of blobby shit and if you think of a potato it turns into a potato if you think of a skeleton that's what it sounded like so these demons come in they kill these two soldiers which was really brutal well, it's, it's not just that they, they actually were sent in by when to show Vale what oh, can happen but I did love the fact that the soldiers were like have you ever been to Disneyland I go why and it's like because this place is like Disney because I've been to Disneyland and it right it is really weird where you have a church next to a factory like you have all these things next to each other that in the grand scheme would be in a town but because they're in such close proximity it's really weird and Disneyland is like that it's all these great big things but they're all so closely together you have a castle next to a, a main street it's just really weird like I never thought about it but when I mentioned it, I was like yeah that's kind of cool that's kind of a nice little thought there well and you, what is the name of the well, town hold on, hold on, that they're hold on, hold on, into hold on Jason Wynn had made a deal with the demon there for a soldier. They had a person particularly chosen that they wanted. So they made a deal for him and it turns out to be Al because Jason Wynn had felt that he'd become soft. Time to cut him loose. He's, you know, I trained him. I taught him everything I know, but he became soft. He's one of my best, but the cool thing was to create Spawn, they had to steal his memories. So his memories apparently were given life or form in this gateway to hell. So his church, his homes, the factories where he lived. I thought that was a really nice touch. Yeah. I was like, oh shit. Because when we hear about people losing their memories, it's just like, okay. But this is like, well, no, the memories actually were taken and given form somewhere else. But, could, but they're all jumbled up. Yeah, they're all jumbled it's, up. And it's that's a the nightmarish whole Disneyland recreation joke, yeah. of scattered memories in Al Simmons' was, mind was called to Great Simmonsville. So, yeah, Simmonsville. And again, Wynn says that that's an in-joke, but for the purposes of our yeah. reading, it's Simmonsville. From that moment on, I'm you, like, you oh, I'm, the soldiers, I'm ready for this. Yeah, you mentioned the soldiers were torn to pieces in short order and, and attacked by demons that were suspiciously similar to the fleet. 
Zodiac Brothers, the Violators yeah. Brothers, but apparently they were not that. Yeah, I thought they were at first. Oh, I mean, they never really said they weren't either, so you never know. Well, I, th- I think they're supposed to be creatures made out of psychoplasm. Uh-huh. I don't think they're supposed to be independent demons. But I mean, it was I some, don't know. and that was some great imagery. Like you see the house with the blood shooting out of the chimney and shit. I'm just like, dude, this is brutal. And Jason Wynn is very callous. He doesn't give a shit about people's lives. Well, it's I mean, all... he sacrificed these dudes just to show off for the major. Yeah, taken to the alleyway where Al is really pissed. He wants to know what's going on, who he is. Why he was killed. Why he was Not killed. Not just by whom. He knows that Chapel was the one who actually pulled the trigger. But who, 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 who gave the orders to And him. why. Yeah. yeah. And at this time, there's these two guys that are attacking a homeless man and about to set him on fire. Well, they said they were just joking. Yeah. But my thing is, okay, when Spawn attacks or defends the homeless guy, does he kill those guys? Are they dead? In that particular instance, the guy leaves a trail of blood from where his head smashed against the, the ground. That feels dead to me. Yeah. Kind of starting to realize. It always seems like they're investigating murders in these alleys. I'm assuming he's the one who's killing these kill- these Okay, because it felt like he's still killing people, right? Like, yeah, I mean, why would he? It's not a boom and a pow, why right? Would he, like, like when the mobsters were coming into the alleys and killing people, why would he pull his punches with mobsters? Yeah. When Overkill showed up, he did his best to indebted Overkill. True. So I was sitting there and I'm like, is that guy dead? I mean, I see the blood on the wall, but is he dead? That doesn't feel like a knockout. That feels like a Todd doesn't strike me as a fatality. knockout kind of guy either. So no, I think True. that's a fatality. Hold on, I'm lost. That's when they go to the building where Angela's angels. Oh and, yeah, and so, Gabrielle. So, is it Gabrielle going on or with the Gabriella? balance of power? Yeah. Where the yeah they mentioned words you know, come down from heaven that because that, that little spawn that's down here there's a shift in power and they're actually going to create a being to destroy which I thought I guess because the angels realized they couldn't do it now the well field, Angela couldn't do it they, they explicitly she's, say that she, Angela tries to defeat she's their greatest hunter so right the angels are all females but the male angels are well see and that's one thing that's very interesting about this story is I, I was under the same impression you were based on the Angela one issue debut yeah. and then the miniseries which hasn't happened yet the miniseries doesn't actually get published for a while from this point but it, it seemed to me like they established that all the angels in hell were these badass female warriors in heaven but in heaven or whatever they call I don't remember if they actually call it heaven in nah, the book I don't remember so anyway what's interesting about this story and again one of the things I enjoyed so much about it Grant Morrison's always great about opening new avenues is that we have beings that are golden with their heads are like open they're sort of like firestorm where well, they, where they look like that like they open. look like that guy from uh stormwatch or photon yeah photon yeah but it looks more like the heads form a crown a multi-pointed well, well, they say, crown well they tell well they tell her when she says was it hard and they're like well once we hollowed out these human forms so i'm assuming they burned them from the inside and their head just kind of pops off yeah yeah so they're so like it's, scanners it's, or something yeah it's it's not like a it doesn't sound like it's a pleasant but, change but whatever the divine beings are that are inhabiting these human forms they chose male forms yeah and i don't know if these are female angels in these male forms or what but it's a distinctly different look at divine beings than what we've seen previously in Spawn. And they seem to be more tech-based, too, because they, they have yeah, a machine they, I mean, they materialize on a satellite yeah. over the Earth. And they're about to shoot this, like, uh, what is it, the Eternal Flame? or it's some, yeah. No, they, they mentioned it's going to tr- convert a human into the weapon. Right. We're get, we'll have it ready before sunrise, your yeah. time. They're basically doing the same thing that Hell did with Spawn, is they're taking a human being and infusing that being with or power tur- the vessel. to turn them yeah. into to an agent they decide to choose Jason Wynn which I'm not a big fan of I did like that they actually let Jason Wynn run around topless and he's fit but he's overweight and it's so rare to see a remotely realistic depiction of an overweight person in yeah. comic books where he's he's got a big gut but he's still you know muscled and he still can kick ass you can see where they've set up that Wynn must have been an actual field agent at 
one time because he does have the skills and he, he they end up pulling like a Lex Luthor. It's straight out of what they did. We're doing Lex Luthor in the uh, late 80s and early 90s where he strips down and he does martial arts and he shows that he's a badass. He's not just a dude in a suit. It was right out of his playbook. And they actually let Jason Wynn beat up a ninja just to show yeah. that he used to be a major badass and could potentially still be so again, which is apparently something that the angels saw in him. Yeah, I still don't like it. That's just too on the nose. That's too close to spawn himself. Yeah, that's just no. I remember when I was reading that, I was like, this is the only part of the book I'm just kind of like, eh, I'm not feeling it. Like, I would have preferred they give it to some random person and then you could do a whole backstory of who that person is and their shit they got to go through. Because if Spawn is going through this through hell, what is it going through heaven? What hell is he going through because now he's an agent of heaven? And let's be honest, the name was really goofy. Uh, well, what is the name? Because before you say it, though, you haven't described what actually happens. Let's so they teleport when into this. It's, it's more than teleporting. It looks like they disincorporate and reincorporate him. He looks like he's blown to pieces. No, it's teleportation, dude. It's, it's teleportation, but it looks like... The, it's very Star Trek-y. It's not very Star Trek-y because it's meaty. It's like they're eroding his flesh and bone and then reintegrating it into a form again afterwards. But it looks like they destroy Wynn to teleport him and then he reforms. Because even when he does reform, he's not reformed his flesh and blood. He appears to be a being of golden light. For no, 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 no. When he appears, he's human because he's there and he's like, he's screaming at them, do you know who I am? And then all of a sudden he's like, it's burning and his chest is lit up. Right, that's true. I yeah, about so that yeah, part. Dude, you're, you're mixing the two up. Yeah, okay. when he was teleported. But then as they start to change yeah, yeah, him, they, they, they tell him, don't speak to us in that manner. They kind of like look down on him like, you know, we're angels. You're just a meat sack yeah. that we're taking advantage of. Lit up from his it's chest. Though, I guess, yeah, it's, it's though like he's, it's coming he's from a, the inside. He's like a pumpkin. Yeah. It's got he's lighting up the inside. And he transforms into the anti-spawn. Which I think is a great name, actually. Stupid, dude. That's like anti-venom. But describe the costume. It's Spawn, but with a fucking knight's helmet. Well, he's got all the crosses everywhere. Instead of skulls, it's crosses. I don't think he has has any chains. He's got a proper cape. I think he does have a chain, doesn't he? I don't remember if he does or not. But I know instead of the mask, instead of the Spider-Man mask, it's a skull, like a... uh, No, it's not. It's 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 a full face mask. No, it's like a a Templar Templar helmet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's got a cross on it, too. Yeah, it's a Templar helmet. Wasn't he called something else? Like a, isn't it like a lightish blue and then a yellow? But wasn't he called something else? He go, he's going to be called something else. He's going to be called Redeemer as there the series progresses. Go. But at this point, he's introduced as Anti-Spawn. Oh, that's such a horrible name, and it's, Look, I, I like it because of several reasons. One, Anti-Spawn recalls Antichrist. And the idea is that he is supposed to be this opposing force to Spawn. is created specifically as an opposing force to Spawn. That makes sense in a, in a theological sense. You know, they didn't keep the name. And I agree that you wouldn't want him to continue to be Anti-Spawn in Definitely, but it very much is part of traditional comic books. He's like the Reverse Flash. He's like, but see, that, but see, Reverse Flash sounds cool. Anti Wonder Woman. So anti Wolverine. I get that, but anti Venom. Anti makes so stupid. No, no, it's, it's a very, because it's, it's like Antichrist. It's, it's like, like it's like well, spawns the disease, so this is the anti disease. It just makes no sense, right? It's a common comic book trope. The Crusader to do, to do the dark to do the dark. Mirror. Jesus is homeboy. I mean, there's so many names we could have gone for that I would have been okay with. Actually, I think with. both of those are not as good. But I, I don't think it was intended to be a permanent name. I think that he was trying to evoke the theological underpinnings of, of the character. If this is a book that's all about a, sp- a hell spawn, you need to have an opposing force so this is the anti-spawn. But I also like it because it plays into the dark mirror aspect of comics. And it's funny because people talk a lot of shit about Image Comics because they, they weren't run by writers. They were run by artists and they were basically recreating the characters that they'd gotten famous for doing at Marvel. But they didn't necessarily necessarily 
recreate the common tropes of comic books and image, at least in the early days. And one of the ones they really didn't do much of is the Dark Mirror, where you would take a character and do this evil opposite version of that same character. It didn't happen that often there, even though it's it's such a part of what makes comics great, because it's all about that duality and absolute goods and absolute evils. Didn't we already do Infinity War? I'm not talking about Image Comics. Yeah, but they'd already done that whole, like, oh, we got the the Dark Image version of these characters. Well, and I'm not talking about evil duplicate Mirror Universe. That Mirror Universe is a different thing. That's like Star Trek, where it's all the good guys, but they're they're in the evil universe. This is where you take a character and you do a dark reflection of that character where they're similar. They have a similar set power set, maybe a similar look, but they're coming at it from the evil side. They hadn't really done a lot of that with Image because the they mostly just came up with villains that were, I don't know, Aliens. just like kind of throwaway villains. I, no. well, most of the Image villains I don't think were very strong because it was just about coming up with a cool visual and having those people fight your people. It was like action figures. You know how they there's the big thing where comics are supposed to be part of the modern mythology? That's part of the mythological underpinnings. That's part of the psychology of comics and it's something that I don't think image tapped into very often because they weren't writers and they didn't understand that these writing construct existed for a reason because they evoked certain emotional responses and they gave context to your characters a lot of the image characters unfortunately lack so what i loved about grant morrison creating the anti-spawn and specifically calling him the anti-spawn is it does specifically recall things like a reverse flash where it's this is the flash but evil and coming in the opposite direction you know i think that's great for spawn i also like that he looks a little like dr fate and i think we've mentioned on the podcast before but if not I'll do it now when Spawn was first introduced he kind of looked a little like Doctor Strange to me and he looked even more like Doctor Fate a number of years back I did a crossover the Irredeemable Shags he wanted to cover all the superpowers action figure mini comics and so he he had scans of them and he passed them around to all of us and we all read them and we covered our iconic characters like I was known for doing Marsh Manhunter so I covered his portion but Manhunter also appeared in the Doctor Fate book or maybe it was vice versa and so I read all those Doctor Fate appearances and that's a character that I always thought looked cool I had the action figure when I was a kid but I've never read a comic book that really got me to liking that character and maybe understood why a Doctor Fate exists to me Doctor Fate was just like Doctor Strange he's a magic guy who hung out with superheroes but he was more remote less personality looked cool but didn't really have anything to back it up and also in the 80s they started really fucking with Doctor Fate hardcore just really playing around with what he is and what he represented and Shag is a big fan of a lot of those changes they made to the character i never particularly cared for most of these radical reinventions of the character because i never understood what they were reinventing i didn't really understand what dr fate was until we did that superpowers crossover and i read those little mini comics and i realized oh dr fate is merlin combined with king arthur or lancelot he's a sorcerer but he's also a warrior he's a knight he's a crusader he doesn't just cast spells and mix stuff in cauldrons and shit he actually puts on armor and fights but he's fighting with magic and once i realized that i thought that's a really cool thing to do with a superhero and i've never read that fucking comic because they're always fucking up dr fate and trying to do something different with it without understanding what they were changing in the first place what the character was in the first place and when i first saw spawn when he was first coming out i thought that that's what he was going to be even though i wasn't conscious of that i thought that he was going to be dr strange but with more of a superheroic thing in retrospect i kind of wanted a mage knight and redeemer slash anti-spawn looks like that and so it reminds me of what i was looking forward to in spawn in the first place i never really got in the character so there's a lot of things about anti-spawn that gets me jazzed just to see him show up finally it's one of the reasons why i've been looking forward to because i've never read these three issues and i'm so happy that this first issue is actually really good yeah i didn't like it so yeah you didn't like the issue oh no i like the issue i just i thought no you just went through this whole 
yeah. like journey. I'm gonna say anti spawn, stupid name. What about he the looked costume? like spawn, but with armor and crosses. I'm fine with the way it looked. I would have preferred a better origin. A different mantle. I, I mean, a different name would have been kind of cool, you know. The Christ. I don't know. Something well, something biblical. Wrong? Okay, he eventually becomes Redeemer. Is Redeemer yeah, fine with you? Oh, that sounds cool. I just didn't like the fact that Jason Wynn was picked. Like, it's like a really small pool they're choosing their vessels out of. Like the rest of the planet, you're shit. But this little pond we got here, this is all we're going to pick out of. Well, it's too but, close okay, to home. Like it, I, I told you, if they had picked just some random homeless guy, it could have been one of the homeless guys in the alley. And now you have him. He's going to kill someone who's been protecting him. He has his impulse to kill the spawn. But yet he feels loyal because this guy has saved his life. That would have been kind of interesting because he's tortured. I have to do this because I have this urge, but I don't want to do it because it's against the free will that God gave me. Now, granted, this is hindsight years after the books were written, but something like that. This felt rushed a little bit where it's like, we need a anti-spawn real quick. Um, Jason Wynn. We'll pick Jason Wynn. Why? Because he's like a ninja killer. He beats up ninjas. And I'm just like, yeah, I, I would have But prefer- this was his first ninja killer. No, I, I disagree because I think it doesn't make sense that Jason Wynn survives because it's made clear through the course of the Spawn comics that for the most part, Spawn is a guy who's going to kill the fuck out of you. It still doesn't make sense that he didn't kill the fuck out of Chapel. They've yet to give me a reason why he but just you're going to tell me the angels did not know that Jason Wynn had made a deal with these demons. No, I think that's part of the point is that this is a guy who's already a nemesis to Spawn in his human identity who is then given powers to go after Spawn. Well, we'll and find Spawn out has, in the next Spawn two books. Motiv- we'll find out in the next two books. And Spawn has a motivation to go after Wynn because you just said yeah. Spawn is wanting to find out why that was somebody pulled the trigger on him. If Wynn's the one that re- betrayed him, then he's got a reason to just go ahead and kill and, the fuck out of Wynn. But we'll now he can't out. and Wynn is also going after Terry Fitzgerald and fucking with his old family with his wife Wanda and their child Cyan. So why doesn't Spawn just kill Jason Wynn? Well, if he's a redeemer, he can't kill him. He's recreating the dynamic of Green Goblin. It's not just that Spidey can't go out and fight Norman Osborn. Well, we'll see what we got two books. I think we'll it's see how it goes. But, but I, I still say it does make a, sense to pick Win. I, I, I don't think it's I would. Too I wouldn't have because I'd rather expand Spawn's library of characters to play with with a new character rather than taking an old character and giving him superpowers. Yeah. But I understand the rationale for why you would do that. So uh, but the rest of the issue, though, would you think? Oh, well, that was it. It ended right there. So it's anti-Spawn. No, but up. I mean, like your thoughts on the issue overall. Oh, I was good. I mean, they're teeing it up. We're about to see if what you said plays out or I mean my biggest fear is the next issue is kind of bang bang punch punch and then something really stupid at the end like Jason Wynn loses his powers and he's like please don't kill me Spawn something stupid like that we're gonna see we don't know what's coming I don't though. think what? I don't think Grant Morrison because I didn't read ahead too I was about to yeah. start reading it and I was like well no it wouldn't be fair because then if we're doing this podcast I'm gonna have a little bit of jump on you can foresee some of the stuff and hit you with this so I was like no I'm gonna wait I'm gonna stick with you and read them issue to issues we read them together because again Grant Morrison for the most part solid writer there are some shit that he does kind of peter on sometimes or stories trail off a little bit and he gets fucking weird with it we'll see i don't know i mean this is what post animal man right yes i think i had read animal man at the time so yeah we'll see because like animal man that's that was a good book fucking weird at the end though sometimes let's get morrison it, one of the very good instances doom force which is uh, an early thing that i read of his doom force where he was doing a, a one-shot parody of x-force with a bunch of different artists and i picked it up because i was picking up all things x-force at that point in time and i got that he was making fun of X-Force but I didn't enjoy it it was almost like too close to what Liefeld and Nicieza were doing on the book without actually taking it seriously and taking the piss out of it and I really didn't enjoy that because he was mocking what I was reading in my taste I thought it was going to be funny and instead it was just a biting criticism of that type of book 
from a person that I feel was maybe a little envious of the attention what, and the money that was coming their way. Well, you got to remember, these are a bunch of artists that say, who fucking needs a writer? It's all about the art. But, so I, I have no problem with a writer going to big, fuck you, I'm going to tear right, but, down. But don't do that on my dime. I didn't buy well, Doom Force number one because well, I wanted to would, read it. Come guys, on, man. Even I would have picked, picked that shit up. So my concern is that Morrison might decide to go extra image over the course of three issues and like you said, decide to just have a bunch of fights and explosions and stuff. But I feel like he lays enough groundwork in this story that he's going to pay some of that off in some no, way. I, I think he looked at Image like a vertical book mm. where they're going to let him play and do whatever he wants yeah. well, and, and not gotta, as much restriction. It, like you these know, characters, you know he, doesn't, he, he doesn't have canon he has to worry about. Like, oh, you can't do this. Well, hey, look, Spawn is fucking only a year old. Fucking go to well, town He's fucking it. with the origins of the character. He's already altered what happened and why it happened. Well, let's be honest. Todd really didn't know. Todd had Spider-Man basically jumping around buildings in a suit. There was an inkling of what the history, the canon was, but it wasn't flushed out. Like, Alan Moore flushed it out. These other writers flushed it out. Yeah. Uh, well, and that, and that's just, that's I mean, part of what gives me hope, too, is I know, I guarantee you, there's no way that Grant Morrison did not read the writer series. If he did not read a single other issue of Spawn, although I think he would have, because I think he would have found... Oh, no, whole, he would have read it. I, I think he would have found the whole image experiment sexy and fascinating and wanted to release some of that material. And it's clear from Doom Force that he was reading X-Force, even if he didn't like it, even mm-hmm. if he was mocking it, he obviously had read enough of it to get what was going on there. I think that he read the writer series and was inspired by that and wanted to do his own oh, that, I'm telling take. you, he, yeah. there, it's vertical, but no canon. Like, we're not going to hold you back. Do something for us. Create something for us. Well, and I, what's, think, I think he got off on that. And another thing that's great about that is that the writer series was one issue yeah. where he's actually going to do like a, an arc. And so this may be, I'd have to check the timeline. This might have been, it was a whole big thing, particularly with Wildstorm, where they got a lot of Vertigo type writers and they were doing a Vertigo version of superheroes. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the big appeal to Wildstorm's area of image. And I'm wondering if this Grant Morrison run on Spawn predates that, because this might have been like the genesis point to some degree of that version of the image identity and the wild, what eventually became a Wildstorm identity. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the story. A problem that I have with Spawn, every time I went back and would try to read Spawn over the years, before he stopped writing the book, when it was McFarlane didn't write the book, it always had a real problem with spinning its gears. It just didn't seem to have traction because it seemed like it just kept going back to the same stuff over and over again without any momentum. 12, 13, 14, 15, you got a flashback to a fight, maybe, between Violator and Medieval Spawn, and you've got the revelation of who Spawn's killer was in one issue, and he didn't really do any much to address that. Mm-hmm. And then before that, you had all the overkill stuff, and more is happening in this one issue. More is happening to progress the story of Spawn, to build and to move it forward than any of the stuff that McFarlane has done since like the first four issues. I'm really excited to see what he's going to do. I really like the concepts that are in play, and I, I just hope that he sticks the landing on the next two issues. I also thoroughly enjoy Greg Capullo's artwork, and I, I enjoy this change of pace yeah. from McFarlane. You don't yeah. really like the art that much? Uh, I like Capullo's artwork. I love seeing him evolve from this to what he is doing now. I mean, he's doing really amazing shit now, especially, well, Court of Owls type shit. I don't know about now. I haven't really kept up with Batman in recent. He did that uh, miniseries with uh, Mark Miller, too. Which one? I, I don't remember what it was called, but he did an image book with Mark Miller. Yeah. Do you remember the name of it? I don't remember what it's called, no. Oh, okay. I don't really follow the Miller stuff that much. So. I fucking love that shit. Yeah. Love that shit all day. Oh, but I mean, I, I hope the next book, instead of doing Punch, Kick, Pow, he just gets fucking weird with it. I want to read his Doom Patrol. I've watched a couple of episodes on the DC shit. Apparently, that's based a lot on Grant Morrison's take on the characters. I don't know. I know nothing of Doom Patrol, so I'm just hoping, like, you know, I want some of that weirdness in the book. I think there's... One of the reasons why I want to watch that show is I see a lot of the Keith Giffen, Matthew Clark run.
run. And that's the only run of Doom Patrol I've ever really liked. And that dealt much more with the original team where Grant Morrison was having to deal with the leftovers from the Levitt's run. Like I said, I never knew anything about that. So again, I am a Morrison fan. I enjoy his talks. I've enjoyed some of his books. Keon got his start in 1986 as a penciler at Aerosol Publishing, but excelled in enough disciplines to have credits for plot, pencils, inks, and coloring individually. He began with uh, Samurai number 13 through 18 before moving to another Barry Blair Aerosol series, the team book Dragon Ring, with numbers 11 through 15, and then Dragon Force for issues 5 through 12. He provided pencils and or inks for other Aerosol titles like Warlock 5 and Elf Lord. Covers for Eternity titles Scimitar, X-Mutants, Planet of the Apes, and Dinosaurs for Hire firms up his Malibu Bonafides as both Aircell and Eternity were absorbed by that company ahead of the Image Association. He moved to Marvel in 1989 with spot illustrations and odd jobs on Unthman, The Ultimate Ninja, The Sensational She-Hulk, What the Marvel Comics Presents and X-Factor before swiftly replacing Jeff Pervez on Incredible Hulk with number 367. The title almost immediately became a book to watch with a pivotal story arc early in the run reintroducing a new more mentally stable Ultimate Green Hulk to a growing audience. By Incredible Hulk number 377 with its fluorescent green ink enhanced cover, the title had again become a hot book under Keown's pen. Keown left in late 1992, just two issues shy of the 400th issue, slightly marring what many consider to be one of the all-time greatest runs on one of comics' most popular characters. The abandoned acronym version of Pitt, P-I-T-T, debuted on a pinup in the first issue of Spawn, plus a bunch of promo images that were not ultimately used in any of the comics. That means it was sort of kind of the third published image property, but it arguably doesn't count, so his full debut was the 20th fourth image comic, which sounds a lot less notable. Periodless Pit number one arrived on January 15th, 1993, over a month ahead of its supposed preview backup strip in the very late Youngblood number four, which the first issue referenced roughly 72 times. Pit would end up being probably the most consistently late image comic, despite the infamous two-year delay on Wetworks' launch. Pit number two through three took six months each, number four nearly three months, number five two and a half, number six about nine weeks, number seven three months, number eight four months, and then nearly four months for the final image issued, averaging four months per comic. So you've got the short story in Youngblood, and then you've got the first four issues of the ongoing series. What happens in there? I read Pet 1 through 4. Well, you, you didn't miss too much. In, in the first little preview comic, we see a spaceship. There's aliens that appear to be the same race as Pit, but they're not quite as big. They're flesh-toned. They have no noses. Creed Empire. The Creeds mm. are these big, badass alien dudes that uh, Pit is associated with. A team of these guys are coming to the spaceship because they're, they're supposed to have 
have captured Pitt and are holding him there and they've got like a camera on him and all this other bullshit to make sure he doesn't get away. He's eviscerated or mutilated 12 of their men to try to keep him on this base, but they've still got him, they think. But then when they lead him to where he's being held captive, there's nothing there but chains lying around. And the guy who was supposed to be keeping him immediately pulls a gun from his holster and shoots himself in the head. Then we cut to a subway in New York City where a little blonde haired kid named Timmy is riding with his grandfather after they've gone to a hockey game and he's got a hockey stick that's been signed by several players and he's really excited about that. On the train there's a bunch of thugs that are uh, threatening to rape a woman on the subway. The grandfather tries to stand up to them. They start beating up the granddad. Kid comes up with his hockey stick and manages to whack one of the guys and break his hockey stick but there's a whole gang of dudes that are about to probably mess with this kid when Pitt suddenly teleports onto the subway train and just rips all kinds of hell on these guys beats the crap out of them beats them bloody to the point where I don't know if any of them survive and then he gives the remaining pieces of the hockey stick back to the boy tells him that he's a good fighter and jumps off the train and is climbing around in the city trying to adapt to the different atmosphere and gravity on earth didn't read none of that so what happens in the four issues you did read okay so in the first issue they did reference that story a billion times in that comic book though right I believe so because okay so it kind of makes a little more sense Pitt is just introduced as having this sentient being in his head it's like some childlike creature almost like a punishment right is that they're kind of vague see that's one of the reasons I've read ahead of the Pitt 4 issues but not recently which we'll get into so I remember Pitt's deal Mm -hmm. but you having very recently read issues 1 through 4 I wanted you to tell me what I just I read them like two weeks ago so in this book they take a playbook right out of Terminator where Pitt arrives on the planet his first interaction is with like a motorcycle gang that are riding down the road they come across this big naked guy walking in the road and decide hey let's fuck with the big naked guy because that makes a lot of sense hey wash day no clean clothes yeah (laughs) r.i.p Bill Paxton. They drive up. They basically start attacking him, hitting him with bottles because, you know, that always works. One of them has like a melee weapon. They hit him with a baseball bat. Pitt doesn't really react to it. Pitt then, I guess you would say, I guess, defends himself and starts kicking some ass. He's battling him. I mean, he's just tearing through him, picking up their motorcycles, tossing them around. They whip out a shotgun, shotgun to the gut. They're laughing about it. Pitt sees his blood. It's purple blood. Really gets pissed. Really starts to tear into him. And that's at the moment that Timmy wakes up freaking out. I'm saying he's having a nightmare. So I guess that's their way of telling is that him and Timmy are linked. And Timmy's in Hartford, Connecticut with his granddad. Grandfather comes in. Timmy's talking about how he's having a nightmare. He misses his family, his mom and dad. So I'm assuming they've passed on. And then we're introduced to a tough New York female police officer, Detective Bobby Harris. She's walking into the precinct. They're having some problems. They're looking for this, the subway episode you were talking mm-hmm. about. Talking about this big guy that ripped through a bunch of guys on a subway train. They're trying to figure out who it is. They think it's maybe one of those young blood guys. And they're like, no, they don't look like that. Pitt says kill or be killed and now he's wearing the biker clothes he's ripped the clothes off of them and he's wearing his best little fit on his gigantic frame do you want to describe Pitt the incredible hulk without a nose and a mullet not a mullet he's he's just full on long hair he's shaved on the sides it's not quite a mohawk but like a quasi mohawk what was that called where he had the shaved sides and the full long hair Pitt often rock a ponytail over the course of the series too I assume it was a mullet I'm probably wrong but no he didn't have a mullet what's a mullet mullet's business in the front he's not business in the front okay I had a hairstyle 
how similar to that, but mine was in braids. So I don't know. Mohegan. Yeah, I guess, yeah. But he keeps hearing this internal voice where it's reflected that it's this alien being who are spreading light through the universe. And the opposite of them are the Creed who are punishing them for spreading light through the universe. Well, the Creed are just warrior assholes who's destroying whatever planet they care to. Klingons. Ripping up the resources. Sure, yeah. I kind of got a Klingon vibe off of them. If you're a DC fan, they'd probably be closer to the Cuns since those guys are like... The what? The Cuns. The what? <laughs> The cuns. See you next Tuesday too, sir. <laughs> but they're the big muscular warlike aliens of Legion of Superheroes and the DC Universe in general. Was that a way for them to get away with cursing? Because that's... Woo. Some people will try to say cahoons, but it's spelled K-H-U-N-D. They're cuns. <laughs> you too, sir. This was kind of goofy where you have Pitt riding a motorcycle. I just assumed that looked like the bear riding a small trike bike. Yeah, it, the proportions are a little bit off yeah. on that. No way a thing as big as Pitt is going to fit right on a just motorcycle. Just the moment he was just talking. It's, it's like putting a He-Man on a GI Joe motorcycle. Yes. It just doesn't make sense for all you '80s babies out there. These detectives go to the subway station but, where this whole attack happened. By the way, the, the official wizard card tried to say that he's seven feet tall. What do you think? I thought he was close to like eight nine. He looks like the Hulk. He really is the size of the Hulk. To me, the Hulk's always been nine feet tall. Like he's just a really big guy. He walks into a room when he's seven feet tall. That's when he's the fu- the I, Joe. I, I would say persona. that as depicted in the comics, both Pitt and Hulk have to be above. The capacity of human height. I'm saying eight. You're talking about ten, eleven feet or so. I would think. Really, they're enormous. Like grown men are like chest level to these creatures. I just assumed there was eight, nine feet. That's like a good solid height. But bigger than seven, though, for sure. I would. Oh, absolutely, bigger than seven. Eight, nine. I give them that. They're back at that subway car, which you mentioned earlier. The police are, and all of a sudden, there's a teleportation, and it's these weird alien creatures that are, I guess, assumed to capture Pit. I think they're bounty hunters. Yeah. Yeah, and you know they're big rock monsters, and some dude with giant claw arms. The detective is like. Freeze! Call for backup. And then the in- issue ends. So that gets us through number one. What did you think of the first issue cover? It was kind of plain. It was just Pitt's face. I mean. You remember they did a Hulk cover like that too? Where did it was just they? an extreme close up on his face? Did Keon do it? Or? Yeah. During okay. the Keon run. It was sometime after they integrated the different Hulk personalities. And the thing about that is, I know the image guys, McFarlane in particular, like to kind of self-swipe. Almost like they were taking back some of the work they did for Marvel and, and repurposing it for themselves. Spawn number one's cover always looked a little bit like the Spider-Man number one cover. And eventually he did a, I think it was issue eight, where he did the literal, practically a tracing of McFarlane's Spider-Man number one cover. And I felt like Keown was trying to do a lift off of his Hulk run. But what's interesting about that, even though I also found the cover a little on the plain side, but you have to give him credit. His Hulk face wasn't necessarily iconic. Like his form, the physical form of the Hulk looked great. But in the face, he was maybe a little bit too heroic, a little bit too handsome. Didn't look enough like the more jacked up Hulks we've seen over the years. And so if you bleach it of its color, he just like a big, looked like a big brawny dude where the pit extreme close-up there's no mistaking that that's pit because of his very distinctive facial features so i do give credit to keon for that i mean it was very plain i mean the artwork was fantastic inside but it's just another example of style over substance you could have put no dialogue and i could have read that story i really didn't need words for it they really didn't explain anything del keon's work is great i enjoy his artwork i own some of it but if as soon as i remember reading the first one i was like wow it's the terminator he took the first scene from the movie the terminator and turned it into a comic book there was uh, one of the image ancillary products where they were, were doing creator interviews and stuff and among Dale Keown's favorite movies at that time was T2. Really? Well this is T1 ain't it? This is T1 yeah. yeah. Um, well there's elements of T2 in there too. Carry on. What's uh, What happens in number two? 
By the way, I will point out that there was a different cover solicited for both pit number one and number two. And I would argue that both of the pre-solicited co- or the, both of the solicited covers were better than what ended up coming out. A lot of the image guys did that. It drove me nuts. Wildcats, I think, is the worst example where there were several great promotional images. They were much better than the actual Wildcats number one cover. And I, I think that's true of a lot of the pit covers as well. I think he did it right the first time and he decided to give us a different cover when the book actually came out. It wasn't as good as his original ideas. I've seen that cover before. Oh, like a poster or a promotional poster, yeah. That's pretty similar. I mean, it's Timmy, it's Pitt. I would say that the pose is stronger in the, on the Pitt character. I like that it's looking straight at Pitt rather than the little sideways view that you get in the new version of it. I prefer this one. Yeah, it's all right. In this one, we start the book with a robbery occurring in the bank, and these guys are running to the bank. They rob. They're running out the back. This one, I remember thinking was kind of strange because the artwork looks great. They did a better, it feels like they did a better uh, color run on this one because the other one seemed murky where this one is very bright the colors are popping these bank robbers are running they, one guy takes off his mask by accident they run into a woman they end up kidnapping the woman because she sees his face yeah because she sees her face they're talking about what are we going to do with her they allude that they're going to murder her and then all of a sudden I thought this was kind of goofy Pitts rolling on a motorcycle behind them tears into the van rescues the woman they shoot at Pitt of course we, we now realize that human weapons don't hurt him he go, go, go kicking ass that's all I can say He's going to kick ass. He's beating up these big bodybuilders. He rescues the woman. She freaks out. He takes off in the Hulk manner of giant leaps. That was unfortunate. Yeah. That, that is such a Hulk move yeah. that they shouldn't have gone there, I don't think. It'd been funny if he ran fast, you know, if he just like ran away really fast. It's just something else, dude. I mean, he's... he's Anything the... besides a gigantic being leaping around. Yeah, that's basically. so the Hulk. on the nose. Yeah. Um, That's like throwing a shield. It's like, dude, you don't throw and, a shield. And let's okay? be honest. The Hulk's been doing it forever. So it's kind of like you'd have to find something new we are reunited with the police being attacked by the aliens in the subway they're doing their best to defend themselves they can't Pitt is still having discussions with that alien being that's in his head it's almost like a jiminy cricket type creature where it's guilting him into shit and trying to be his moral compass because he's i guess has this bloodlust he's a warrior he just wants to kill i think in the first issue they say something about how he feeds on other beings aggression yeah. and that like fuels his own i didn't catch that part that's a little deep for Pitt. they are concerned with timmy because timmy is alluded at being some kind of powerful being. So he has some connection to, to Pit, Pit. And, and that alien creature, doesn't he? I'm not sure okay. about that. I, th- I think it's more to Pit. They'll elaborate on that later on. So Timmy's watching TV about those aliens that are attacking the subway. All of a sudden, they're able to track Timmy. Timmy apparently has some kind of uh, human beacon where he's giving off this signal and they're, they're picking up on it. They're now attacking Timmy's home. Grandpa, rolling like a G, jumps out there and he's like, you know, this dude is bitches. He gets attacked. He's getting- well, we should explain to his grandpa's a really scrawny old man white I, hair with honestly mustache, the first time glasses. i saw him i thought he was twitch like older twitch like yeah. twitch, he looks like twitch's dad yeah like twitch's dad and he, twitch is not a young man no so yeah twitch is dead he's an older twitch they have a lot of the same characteristic except twitch is more cartoony scrawny glasses mustache pretty much all there balding and as the aliens are attacking pitch shows up and just starts to wreck them tearing through them now does he have some kind of special alimentium claws or he just has claws is it claws okay because yeah and, and we should point out that these are finger claws so yeah. if you, I finger know there's claws. He, I know he's got a, he, he's more saber-toothed than Wolverine in that respect 
Oh yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, saber tooth, very saber toothy, tearing apart, ripping off limbs with green blood going around. So I guess that's to kind of protect them from the comic book code. I do believe that Image was still trying to move stuff on the newsstand at this point in time. So, and I noticed like your copy of Pit Number Two, the paper quality just goes in, right into the shitter. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that must have been a newsstand copy. Okay. Because the newsstand were a little bit. I think they were a little cheaper. They did not have the same quality of paper. Not all of us were uh, rolling like G's. Were like the Mister Frank here, like you know, just <laughs> yeah, making it. G Making it rain on all those comic nerds. I, could, I couldn't afford to keep my issues of Pit. I bought them and then resold them for a profit because. They, they See, look were, at that! Already profiteering off of comics. You no, just to pay bastard. for other comic books that I did get. To you keep. speculating bastard! I was not a speculator. I bought I, it for dollar ninety five. It's not worth ten ninety five. I, no, I bought Pit with the intention of reading and enjoying it, and I didn't enjoy it enough to keep it, so I resold it for a, a, like a tidy eight bucks. profit, like eight bucks on a two dollar comic. You know, it's not exactly. It's a good, good return, but it's not. I, I wasn't like paying the rent with that. Okay, so Pitt's ripping in through him. He's killing him. They're attacking Pitt. The bounty hunters are blasting him, but of course, Pitt is almost immortal, isn't he? Almost, I mean, does he have regenerative powers? Yeah. Okay. Not unlike the Hulk from that period where he regenerated from pretty much a skeleton. Oh, yeah, when he fought the UFOs. Fucking yeah. favorite issue. When they're blasting him. When, what's, I can't remember the characters. Blasting his fucking flesh comes off and it's just bones. But again, he just fucking murder, 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 murder. Purple blood and green blood everywhere. I love the fact that he knocks off one of the bounty hunters heads he tells Timmy, you know, you're going to be okay. I got you. His face is half burnt off. Another callback to Hulk type. See, in this book, he's not that big now. Does he change mass? Uh, yeah, he, he's just not consistently drawn. Okay, to, I just realized it, that because they, the, they show him next to Grandpa. And, uh, not a, not very big. I mean, he's still tall, but he's not really big. In a lot of the promotional materials for Pitt, he's running around wearing jeans and a belt. And in those images, he just looks like a really big dude. Yeah. Maybe like The Rock or something. And he's got very clearly Caucasian flesh tone. And then you look at other issues of Pitt where he's got the ashen white skin and he's just ridiculously oversized. I don't know. Did you, did you see the Pitt action figure that came out of the legendary heroes? Mm-mm. He was a builder figure. Mm-mm. It's enormous. It's ridiculous. It's like the, it probably like he's taller than like five or six Timmy's combined. So it, there's just not a, a lot of consistency with how Pitt is rendered. But I did prefer him when he was a little bit smaller where he was more like, like kind of like more like Sabretooth, I guess, but yeah. like a, a really brawny saber tooth. I think it would have been cool if he just walked around naked all the time. Well, he, he is naked in the first appearance. No, but I mean like the entire book. Like yeah. he's just pitch long just swinging around and he's just like he doesn't give a shit because on his planet like he's too big for clothes. Something like that. That would have been pretty funny. Worth noting that during Heroes Reborn which was drawn by Wills Portacio they did have Hulk appearances in Iron Man running around with Free Willy. Really? We are introduced to the Creed as they're traveling in their ship. The Creed leadership is this giant venom symbiote Creed Probably more carnage a little bit because he's really scrawny. No, he's, dude, he's all black. He's, and he's, he's like ebon and he's like a, he's almost like a semi-liquid form. You know, he's he all, lo- he, he looks he's all me, over, he looks like the symbiote when it's bouncing around and jumping around and talking to people. He's scrawny and he's overly elongated but still humanoid with long, long claws. He's sort of like a more human version of the Violator. T-1000, but made out of you know, fleshy I, vinyl instead of metal or something. I, I'm going with symbiote. He looks like a giant symbiote with a face, with teeth. He's angry because Pitts escaped and apparently they use some of his genetics to create Pitt. So Pitt is a genetically engineered warrior of he, Creed he, descent, this leader's descent. Zoivod, yeah. And is he mixed with something else? We'll have to wait and see. Okay. And he's pissed off because Pitt has escaped. The captain who is informing him of this is now pretty much shit out of luck because he needs to be fed. And I'm assuming he feeds off of fear. And the guy's like, oh, 
Issue three starts with, I'm thinking a pretty cool cover because, uh, again, his name is Vanya. Zoivat. Zoivat. Okay. Zoivat uh, on the cover holding up Timmy with Pitt in the background and all these dead bodies around him. We are now introduced to some hunters who are about to shoot Bambi. They're taking shots at the deer. They're releasing their pet bull. They're talking about how it's the baddest pet bull they've ever owned. Bad motherfucker. We'll have to catch up with the deer before it rips the throat out of the deer. And the next thing you know, the dog is just flying back, petrified. <laughs> And there's the pit man. The hunters are talking shit. And you just look at Pit. Come on, dude. No nose. Claw hands. He's got thing thing going on, yeah, too. Yeah, he's just... He's, Dry, gigantic teeth. Yeah, he's just a badass. And so the, they run away. And, of course, the dog is now very friendly toward Pit. Pit is having conversations with this alien who, again, is his subconscious, right? They don't go into a lot of detail they don't, about what it is in the first four issues. It's, it's a creature in there that's basically trying to guide Pit to do better, from what I read. And we're back with the detective and Del Kion. I'm sorry, she looks we, exactly we should, like Marla yeah. from the Hulk. We, we should point out again, there's two detectives. There is Bobby Chase. No, sorry, Bobby Harris. Harris yeah. Because his editor on Incredible Hulk and the editor who first gave him his big break in comics was Bobby Chase. And the other editor that gave him entry into Marvel was Bob Harris. And his character's name is Bobby Harris. So the cop she's working with is douchebag, womanizing asshole. Yeah. He's Smithers. So we know where Smithers came from in a comic book from 1993. Where? He even has a flat top. It's Simpsons. Oh, okay. I thought you were like, okay. He's a big, he's basically, oh, that's right, that's he, right. he's McBain, but he's named after Smithers, Smithers and talks like a douche bro. Tough man. Yeah. The detective is getting ready to go into work. They're now pulling the corpse. And again, the by aliens. detective, we're talking about Bobby, Bobby Harris. Harris. Bobby Harris. They're now pulling the aliens and out. And also, she's in the shower, right? Does she have a shower scene? Um, actually, I thought that was her partner. See, that's not very consistent because. Well, wait, okay. Uh, wait a second, though. We, we skipped something because did you talk about the part where her partner Smithers is pinned under a pillar in the subway and she She's manages to lift it up. Yeah, and that he's was like, issue one. Holy shit, you have superhuman strength. Now that was two, dude. Is that two? That was issue two. Yeah, I don't we're think not there yet, issue two. Are you in issue two now? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. So you don't have to you, you skip that part. Yeah, yeah. Apologize again, you asshole. Um, so she's getting ready for work. They're pulling up alien bodies from the the subway where they're like missing limbs and their heads are crushed in. They're now interviewing Grandpa and Timmy because again, the alien did not attack Timmy or Grandpa. No, this is issue three, motherfucker. You missed that shit. What issue are we on? Oh, yeah, we're on three. I don't apologize. <laughs> I mean, I remember that. I'm pretty sure that happened in one, though. No, because number one ends where the cops are investigating the subway. Oh, that's and right. The, and the bounty attack. hunters that's right. teleport in. Yeah. And two. But they they allude that she picks up the thing. But so they allude that she has superhuman strength. So she is a young blood type character. We don't know yet. Oh, I'll, give, I'll give them this. There's more. Now that I'm going back, I guess these books are a little deeper, like the first, than the, the first issue. A lot issues of foreshadowing. Of, yeah. A lot, a lot deeper than like the first issues of I guess Young Blood. I guess you can kind of see the evolution where Young Blood and them are we're here. We're gonna kick your ass. Yeah, that's it. And then yeah. Spawn has kind of he's like trying to world build. Pitt's going in the same world, but they're now alluding that we're you know this person's a, it's a cop, but she seems to have superhuman yeah. strength. What's going on with this? Pitt's got a voice in his head. Where'd that did, come from? Did ever, Why does he keep hanging out to me, the little boy? Did he ever pop up in like Savage Dragon or anything like that? I don't think he was in Savage Dragon. Okay, uh, he he did pop up in a number of books though. Spawn. I don't. It, don't think he was in Spawn either. He was in Cyber Force, which we've covered previously. Okay. He was in Gen 13. He was in Invincible.
Invincible, much later on, of course. Now, this was agreements with the artists, right? Where they were going to allow their character to be exactly, in other guys' books, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So if they didn't get along, they didn't have to let them play with the other guys, right? Well, and Spawn tended to not have other characters in his book, too, as you recall. Well, he had Shadowhawk, and he had Did Has Shadowhawk appeared in Spawn? Yeah, remember, they talked about no, Shadowhawk. No, Spawn appeared in Shadowhawk. Oh, that's Has right. Has anybody that's right, appeared that's right, in Spawn right, yet? Right, right. No, right? Except for Chapel. Yeah, Chapel. Chapel and Youngblood have appeared yeah. in Spawn. Doesn't Savage Dragon? Eventually, but I don't yeah. think that's happened yet. Yeah, okay. Oh, he was on the TVs. Yeah. They had that parallel scene where uh, in, in Savage Dragon, Spawn shows up in front of the TVs yeah. and vice versa. Yeah. So, yeah. So, they're taking out the alien bodies because we're going back there now. So, again, they don't explain how. I'm just going to call him Voldemort. Voldemort appears. Zoivat. Zoivat. He who we do not speak of. Voldemort. He pops out of one of the alien chest bodies as a the alien uh, chest breakers. Well, it's one of the corpses, though. So, it's almost like he's right along. But how did he teleport there? Huh? How did he get there? How did, how did any of them teleport there? Uh, I don't know. It's just They've all teleported weird. there. That's so. true. You're right. He could have teleported. He comes ripping out and roaring. I mean, it looks cool as shit. And he starts murdering police officers left and right. He has like that. Now, he does look like T2 where he's creating like these giant blades out of his hands. And he's just kind of a walking weapon. He's after Timmy and Grandpa. He's like liquid vinyl. He's like uh, the opening sequence from the American version of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I knew you were going to go there with that. He sees Timmy. It's you. He goes after Timmy. Now, the minute that he touches Timmy, Timmy goes into this mental, I guess what, just freezes up Mm. because he interacts with him. And the pit can feel Well, if it. I remember correctly, he absorbs life energy, and he yeah. absorbs almost all of Timmy's life energy as a way of attracting the pit. pit. Yeah, yeah, because Pit comes roaring in. He's pissed as hell. And then that's the end of issue three. And I want to read the solicitation copy for Pit number four. In a power strike, a group of intergalactic bounty hunters launch an attack, which gains them the upper hand in their fight against Pit. As if that's not bad enough, Spawn makes an appearance, but whose side will he be on? So Spawn does appear. And here's the original solicited cover of Pit number four. Pit about to attack Spawn. Okay. That's not the cover to the issue you're about to cover. This one is just Pit and Voldemort staring down each other. You can see the similarities in their teeth, eyes. Pit has hair. Voldemort doesn't. He didn't have a nose either, does he? No, neither of them have noses, but I think that's a Creed thing. By the way, have we explained that Zoivod is like the emperor of the Creed or, or some shit? Kind of like, I thought he was more like the supreme intelligence type thing. Like, he runs everything. He tells them what to do. You're almost like an emperor? Yeah, like an emperor, yeah. And I think they holding... literally call him an emperor in the comic. Though. That's Good. why I, th- I think I call. Yeah, that's why I went without reference. He's holding Timmy hostage. Grandpa's angry. He's kind of like a liquid form where he's kind of moving just by shifting his body around. They're trying to get the child back. There's only one who can save this child. The police are like, "Who?" Pitt's behind him. He says, "Me." Pitt says, "It's go time." He throws Timmy like a weapon. Pitt jumps, catches Timmy. That at that which point, Voldemort starts attacking him, throwing shit at him. They're battling. The police start shooting at Voldemort. Voldemort kills them. He's holding Timmy. He's Timmy at this point is in a coma type. His life force has been drained yeah, been almost drained. to emptiness. And, and the alien force inside of Pitt says that I'm going to try to revive him. Yeah, one thing I think we need to point out too, because I know this has come up by this point, is that the bounty hunters are unable to track Pitt. They know understand Pitt's genetic code, but the being that is inside of Pitt, which I believe they've acknowledged is named uh, Jerob in the in the comic yeah. by this point, Jerob is masking Pitt's presence. So they can't track Pitt. But Pitt has a bio biological connection to Timmy. And so when they're looking for Pitt, they keep going to Timmy instead. But they do allude that Pitt has some human DNA in him as well. Possibly. So the problem is Pitt can't walk away without Timmy getting killed by these guys or in some way used. And he obviously has a connection to Timmy. And there's obviously something shared between the two of them since Timmy is reading to the bounty hunters as Pitt, just as he did with Zoivod. So something needs to be done about the, the Timmy issue. Jerob 
decides to try to revive Timmy, which he does while he's working on it. Pitt's like, you know, I'm going to go to work here now. And he goes and he starts battling Voltex or whatever. Voltex is now actually battling the Detective Harris, who's this badass with a military. She she feels very 80s action hero. She has yeah. guns and, everywhere. And I have to point out, too, because I know this is another scene that must have dropped off. But there was a shower scene with Bobby Harris in one of the issues where they show her in a penthouse apartment. And she's thinking about how she can never let her apartment her, her partner see her apartment because he, there's no way that she could afford that on a cop's salary so it's another illusion that she is more than she appears to be well no, i did mention it because she looks just like marlo from the incredible Hulk, incredible Hulk. right but did you mention the other stuff yeah that she was in the shower <laughs> okay i see where you have a laser-like focus on that one particular aspect yeah i mean i mean it's great artwork but i mean i never even thought about that whole part yeah you were distracted yeah i was distracted so i guess yeah they're alluding that she's a superhero because now she's battling she's launching weapons uh he attacks her Pitt then attacks him there's this bing bang boom they're all fighting she's able to survive Pitt and uh, Voldemort for now battling each other I guess they're almost equal except that he has a, some ability to get into Pitt's head he does, like a, yeah, he does like some kind of a t- psychic attack he wants Timmy again Timmy seems to be the key to this whole thing but they don't allude in this issue I don't believe Yeah, it's I guess for well, later they, they're alluding all over the place they're, there's nothing explicit explicit thank you then all of a sudden Timmy shows up from behind this can't be Jerob has made the transference into the Earth Boy. Timmy opens his eyes and all hell breaks loose. He literally shreds Voldemort. That's pretty cool. You know, breaking up his body parts, arm, head. We're later told that this doesn't do anything. He's still alive. Yeah, this is just like, like one some of, kind he, of transference. He, he, right. Power. He's this is just one of his bodies. He's got yeah. a bunch of them. Grandpa's telling Pitt to stay away. Pitt says you don't understand the magnitude of the situation. Oh, I think he understands all too well. The female officer, Miss Harris, tells. Pit Pit takes the body and then that's what it ends. Of Zoivod? Yeah, he takes Zoivod's body. He's walking off with the limbs and shit. That's kind of cool. And then it just says the end, which I know it didn't. I mean, it kept going. Was yeah. that just one? Well, arc? I mean, it, when when I was originally wanting to do Pit, story ends at more strongly at a later point, but it was going to be too much material to cover in the one episode. So I figured they said the end here, so we're just going to end it here. Okay. So what did you think of the first four plus issues? Pretty solid. I mean, it's I haven't read it since it initially came out in what the nineties. Mm-hmm. my taste in books then and now are greatly different i'm sure i enjoyed it then i did not enjoy it now i mean i love the artwork i think the artwork's amazing his artwork is phenomenal well one thing that, that was interesting i was reading interviews with del Kion, and he talks about he's a multidisciplinary artist he can do his own pencils inks colors and that's his preference because he was working on hulk on a semi-monthly basis they gave him mark farmer who i think is an excellent inker he seemed to have a cordial relationship with farmer but because he was in canada Del Kion was. Farmer was in the UK. They didn't really talk very much. Time never worked out. And there's only so much reason to talk anyway. Kion seemed to like Farmer okay on his pencils, but he also made a point of mentioning that he felt like Farmer was better on Alan Davis, who he acknowledges is one of his influences. He'd wanted to get back to inking himself. But when he first started working on Pitt, he thought that the inker would help him with his speed to get the book out more quickly. It ended up not being the case, obviously, with the enormous production delays to the point where whatever happened with Spawn, he's not longer in issue four or any of the issues yeah. of Pitt ever. So he goes from being a cover featured guest star to nothing to do with the book whatsoever. 
But he got some really great inkers. And I think they did really, really great stuff over his pencils. Williams is, of course, one of the all-time great inkers. And some of the very best work Keown did in this time period, up to this time period, was inked by Scott Williams. But Keown really wanted to get back to inking his own stuff, and he found that bringing in the inkers did not help. Moving the pages around didn't help. And he was still really tied up with the business of actually getting a comic out, getting talking to printers and things like that. And so that was one of the reasons why he had these enormous delays. But even though the book looks great at this point with all these inkers, he really wanted to get back to eke his own stuff and I don't think it really happens over the course of the Pitt series I don't think he really got to start inking himself again routinely until after the Pitt series resolves but I'll have to double check and we'll see where we're at as the, the book progresses okay. but it is a great looking book great coloring yes uh, I think Steve Olaf did some colors on it I think Joe Chodo or Chido did some colors on it it was always a good looking book though I agree 100% so now I'm going to give you the secret origin of the Spawnometer podcast. I've, I've had an interest in Spawn for quite a few years. I've always had an interest in the character in general, but there were periods where I you know, didn't have that much interest because the book wasn't very interesting. But in more recent years, he's a character that's just really fascinated me. And and at this point in my life, he's the character I'd most want to write if I ever got to write a combo character. Just because I think there's so much you can do with Spawn and so much potential creative freedom given that it's just Todd McFarlane and not a gigantic corporation that you have to satisfy. So I'm, I'm really interested in Spawn. But what happened is I was listening to Nathaniel Wayne's 90s comics retrial. And I don't think you ever listened to that show. I got no. Max listened to it for a while. What he had done is he got a bunch of comic books from his parents' house after they'd been there for years and years. I think you told me this. Yeah. And, and it was only the comics that he had bought on a monthly basis for a span of like 92 to 94, something like that. And so he's going back and rereading them and then judging whether or not they were actually good or they were guilty of 90s era awfulness. And so this guy was clearly a big fan of Spider-Man and Spawn in particular. And so the he kept reviewing issues of that book and I had no interest in hearing him talk about Spider-Man for the most part and I had some interest in him talking about Spawn but it still wasn't making me like want to do a podcast or anything so then he did the first issue of Pitt and he like you he wasn't reading Youngblood and so he didn't read the preview comic so he was driving him nuts to be reading Pitt number one and not know why they kept referring you know not know what had happened in this comic book they keep referring to and he was talking about how he really liked Pitt he was very very generous to the book itself and he thought that the writers had a sense of humor about the material and they were actually writing somewhat ch- tongue-in-cheek a lot of common tropes for the time period and it made me wonder because i was a fan of keon on incredible hulk i did buy i think the first issue of pit by the time the second issue came out it was so late that i was able to cut all of my image pre-orders and not buy it i think i ordered it the first time it was solicited but by the second or third time it was resolicited i wasn't buying it anymore i just bought that one issue and sold it off i gave up so i wrote pit off because like you i read pit number one and i felt like it was very much of its time. I didn't really see the stuff that Nathaniel Wayne was seeing in it. But by hearing him talk about it and by recalling in my comic shop days, I would flip through Pitt and it seemed like the book got really interesting, really dark as it progressed. I'd always wanted to go back and read Pitt and see if it was better than I thought from reading that first issue back in the day. It just so happened you had a stack of Pitt comics that I saw when I was over here one day and I was just like, hey, can I borrow those? And I borrowed the whole run of Pitt essentially. And I read about the first dozen issues. As you noted, there's a lot of stuff that's foreshadowed in those four yeah. issues and that gets built upon over the course of the first dozen issues and it was getting so involved that I wanted to write it this down. There weren't a lot of resources out there that really go into detail about what the fuck was going on with Pitt and so I wanted to do something a blog or a podcast or something about what was going on in that first year of Pitt and I, recently I finally launched the Amazing Heroes podcast where I talk about indie comics characters and I thought one of the earlier primordial versions of that podcast that I would maybe cover Pitt on my own but it never felt right. I was getting burnt out on talking about 
about Marvel characters and DC characters. I was sick of talking about corporate comics. And we had our Underguides podcast, but the more we did that, and we didn't do that a lot, but when we did it, it felt like it should be non-superhero stuff. Again, I was thinking about my interest in Spawn, and it was like, well, why not an image podcast? And, you know, I'm, I, I, it could have easily been a Savage Dragon podcast, but Savage Dragon doesn't interest me the way Spawn does. I always wanted to read through the run of Spawn, and it just made sense to go ahead and do a podcast about Spawn. I also like the idea that since this is an African-American hero, to do a podcast about somebody who isn't just another white dude, which most podcasts are about in comics. So it had a lot of stuff that intrigued me. The original version of the Spawnometer pilot was just covering Spawn number one without the backup stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, well, I really want to talk about all of the Image Comics, not just Spawn. And so it all kind of spun out of my interest in wanting to talk about Pitt. So, of course, I borrowed your issues. I read them. I did like them. I don't agree with Nathaniel Wayne that the writers were being tongue-in-cheek. I think that they were definitely playing to the tropes of the time. It's just that they also had a sense of humor, which you could see in some of the better, like, buddy action movies. You know, the Terminator movies have humorous mm-hmm. moments to them. The Shane Black movies have humorous moments. Die Hard. So I think it was just that he was picking up on that humor, which worked sometimes and not so much other times. Because it wasn't as critical of the material and I, I, it didn't cost me any money. Like, it was costing me $2, $2.50 back in 92, 93 was a lot to ask of me. I didn't, you know, that comic books were cheaper back then. I was making like $4.25 an hour back then. So I, I need, I demanded a lot from my comics and I, I wasn't satisfied with Pitt at that time period, but more of the fact I was just really dissatisfied with image comics because so many of them that I'd read had been so bad. Rereading them today, I was, I was very intrigued by it. I enjoyed the material I read. I'm looking forward to covering more Pitt. Yeah, Pitt is basically the reason why we have a Spawn Armor podcast or one of the reasons why we have a Spawn Armor podcast. I did not know that. Yeah. Obviously, it's incredible artwork. I think it's definitely some of the best artwork of Del Keown's career. I think that as much as I like Mark Farmer's inks on Incredible Hulk, I do agree that the guys he brought in for Pitt were flashier. They were definitely more Chromium Age and I, they definitely gave Keown a sheen that he didn't quite have over at Marvel. I was disappointed though because when you look at the preview pinup in Spawn number one, when the book was P-I-T-T, you get this sense of it being a more pure horror story. You get the sense of it being like more of a Stephen King kind of thing, like maybe the kids controlling this monster and having it rip people up and maybe the kids mess in the head or maybe it's like a Calvin and Hobbes kind of deal where he's got these these young blood powers that allow him to create this savage being but maybe nobody else can see it but him and it's in his imagination because he's this fucked up kid or I don't know what what I thought was going to happen but I thought it was going to be more of a pure horror book and so for to actually read the book and it's much more sci-fi superhero with some horror elements is a bit of a disappointment because I do think that Keown's really good at horror but it's still I thought it was a decent first four issues I don't like Zoifod I don't like the design I, it reminds me a lot of Matt Martin's Snowman and it reminds me of every asshole who ever drew like a monster villain in their notebooks in school and you didn't really know how to draw yet so you would just draw these crazy exaggerated figures of a monster with the long claws and all this kind of stuff and something that maybe could have used some more revisions to be more distinctive I do think that he looks too much like the violator or just the, the whole the physicality of the character is a little too much like that but I think Pitt looks cool and I'm looking forward to reading some more issues because this episode has run way longer than I wanted it to I'm not sure I'll be able to get to a lot of the material that I, that I wanted to cover related to Dale Keown so I guess we'll just have to kick that to a later episode where I'll get into his biographical stuff but I, I do enjoy his work I do think that Pitt is better than a lot of the image material we've covered so far and I'm going to enjoy doing more issues of this as we progress and that's our first issue of Pit Stop 
So I went back and I looked at Tumblr and we got some notices on the now censored chapel episode from Sweetie Photo and Mixer Man 110869. I don't know if you're familiar, but Tumblr took off all of its porn, which apparently took away like a third of all people that were going to Tumblr and wrecked them a little bit. Uh, they also made a point of taking down violent imagery and that's what we had up because you got Violator ripping arms off and chapel chopping shit up and all of that stuff. So that's no longer okay at Tumblr and they'll actually censor it to where people can't see the post at all. It'd be nice if they would just censor individual images, but they took out the entire post. So I had to be much more careful. One of the things I liked about putting stuff up on Tumblr is I like being able to show some of the more graphic stuff that I don't want to put out on Twitter and such. But I guess we'll just have to find an alternative path because we're showing fantasy horror stuff and we should be able to show some of the gore. And I hate not being able to show that since that's part of the appeal of these old image comics. But yeah, we'll see how we go moving forward. On Facebook, we got attention from Michelle Fife. Debeche and Richard Field. Among our supporters are the 108 Sage, Adam Blackmoon, Alan Mozek, Anime Freaks, Anime Nostalgia, Dr. Ange, Anthony Joseph, Marciano, and Undead Monk, Biko Django, Caroline Wells, Cash Flag, Class 1000, A Marvel Superheroes Live RPG, Coffee and Comics Blog and Podcast, Dark Man Story, Dr. G Nerdologist, Edmore Teal Productions, El Cruz Gonzalez, Fan Holes Podcast, Firestorm Fan, The Hammer Strikes Random Geeky Stuff, Harry James Wesley, History of Comics on Film, Iowa's Joe, Jeffrey Brown, Jennifer DeRoss, John Reads Comics and Podcasts About Them, Justice First Dawn, Keith G. Baker, Cal Benning Likes Comics, Liz Ann Oswald, Max Romero, Noel Deal, Odell Abner Dracula, Professor Frenzy, Randy Caldwell, Richard G., Richard Field, Ryan Daly, Secret Wars and Beyond Podcasts, Siskoid, Steve Sellers, Varangian Vigilante, Xenozoic Xenophiles, and Zach Sally. John Reads Comics, put us on a follow Friday and also said I just recorded one last night he's referring to all the pouches his image comics podcast and now you're one more ahead of me again would love to hear your thoughts on my different take on the image journey Odell Abner Dracula because we, there was a cross communication there you know that Frank and I are mutual fans of each other's shows and on Shadow Hawk he noted that he liked the helmet but it does have some unexpected curves to it Joaquin Branche asked John hey what's that spawn podcast you always shout about on the show and john noted that would be the spawn o meter which is how he pronounces it podcast over at rolled spine so thank you for the promotion on that jeffrey brown wrote i was listening to this earliest morning and i find it interesting how you broke down and pieced together the timeline for young blood chapel and the early image comics universe on the rob liefeld side of the universe paul mayberry who was you may recall the writer artist on the chapel backups in uh, oh, yeah. blood strike brutalist yeah he wrote us saying my timeline was compiled from young blood spawn and night strike i appreciate y'all trying to make sense of it all and as i mentioned to him i didn't mean to bash on his timeline most of the young blood timelines are all fucked up kurt Busick's timeline doesn't really make a lot of sense either i think it was brian witten that wrote the chapel stories they clash with spawn they clash with each other none of the timelines work together it's almost as if this is entirely in a fictional universe that's being crafted by a variety of hands he also sent us a layout page from one of his issues that was cool of him hell is empty he wrote jesus fucking christ that art in relation to the Operation Night Strike that you enjoyed so much. Yes. Randy Caldwell wrote, The art scares me. Uh, Keith G. Baker and Illegal Machine, we all joined in mocking elements of the artwork about it being sort of like beefcake, that kind of shit, goofing around. Odell Abner Dracula wrote, I don't know anything about the subject matter from here forward, but I'm very interested in what Spawnometer has become. This episode made my snowblower and roof rake time less miserable, so thank you. Hashtag Night Strike, hashtag Battlestone, hashtag Stream. He continued, I stuck with the 
the Max and Shaman's Tears, but I dropped the rest of the books early. I tried to pay a non-zero amount of attention to what was on the stands, but it's all spotty. Example, I thought Night Strike was a guy. Googled it, and I was thinking Nightmare. Remember that one? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Well, I've lost my dang mind. Special thanks to Rollspine and all the pouches for sending me off the deep end. Bad Rock is really weird. I thought he was Ben Grimm without a nose, and he kind of is. He's also kind of a bisected melon with teeth or a hamburger. He's a weirdo. And the reason why he's saying that is Odell, of course, does the drawings that sometimes end up coming our Spawnometer episodes. And he did, I don't know how many fucking drawings of Bad Rock trying to just figure out how the fuck this dude works. He threw out a follow Friday of, uh, to us with a bunch of those doodles and saying because they're the ones who made me start obsessively doodling Youngblood characters. And then he also wanted people to go follow Odraws, whose art is the antidote to my doodle. Bad Rock doodling is a situation where Googling images just makes him harder to draw. I keep going back to Melon Cut in Half with a face of melon meat in between and then put some teeth in there. I also realize I'm trying to figure out something that may not be figurable. I have several lingering thoughts on Shadowhawk, but it destroy the sanctity of my Twitter hiatus if I logged in to share them. Hashtag destroys sanctity. And then he offers a drawing of Shadowhawk. Started work on a Shadowhawk reboot. I finished it. This is the whole thing right here. Done. Rebooted. And so all this art is going to be featured on our blog. You can check that out. Uh, he did do a drawing of Nightmare, the Marat Michaels character, where he points out that if you turn Nightmare to the side, it looks like a bird trying to eat something. Like the tongue sticking out where the head's supposed to be and the shoulders are so gigantic. They're like a beak. I so, thought it looked like Darkhawk. Sure, that too. Maybe that'll all be on the blog. Oh, and then I also asked the episode question, if you could retroactively replace up to three members of Operation Night Strike with other Image Comics characters, who would you choose and why? Absolutely nobody answered the question. So I'm going to go ahead and answer, ask the question again, and I'm going to ask it of you this time, Mr. Fix-It, and the next time we record, I'm going to expect an answer from you, good sir. Okay. So I'll, I'll have to make sure to text you before we get together again to remind you to come up with an answer. Or I'll put it together in like 30 seconds. And I'll be honest with you, I, I need to remind myself because I haven't come up with an answer yet either. I've got, I've definitely I think you're just few... upset no one answered your question. Well, I was trying to rip off Waiting for Doom, but nobody but me gives the slightest fuck about Operation Night Strike, so that's probably the main issue. You, you, you might want to pick something someone cares about. Yeah, it might be a good idea. So uh, maybe next time, next time. But this time, somebody has to answer the goddamn question, or I'm not going to ask questions no more. Image Comics, formed in 1992 by several creators unhappy with their current place in the industry. So they band together to make a new comics company for a new generation of readers. Creator-owned, mutants, cops, black ops government agents, demon-possessed, and they are going to be the greatest comics ever. April of 1992, the first issues hit the stands, and fandom resounded with cries of... Pouches? Why are there so many pouches? pouches? What? You don't like pouches? All the Pouches, an Image Comics podcast, is one fan's exploration of those early years of Image Comics. Youngblood, The Savage Dragon, Spawn, and more, with maybe even a few pouches along the way. So come give a listen at johnreadscomics.com. That's John with no H. Just so you can spell it right. Howdy folks, my name is Ed Moore. 
and this is the Lords of Order, the Dr. Fate podcast. Dr. Fate's a golden age DC hero. He was created by Gardner Fox and Howard Sherman. He first appeared in More Fun Comics 55, dated May 1940, was a founding member of the JSA. Now, why Dr. Fate? Dr. Fate is, is a pretty cool character. I'll take an opportunity to read about him, to learn about him, and in the process, I'll be able to share that with anybody that wants to listen along on the journey. We'll be talking about one book per episode, so the episode should be relatively short. The website that the show will go up on is bigtimenoise.com slash Fate. That's part of the Deliberate Noise Network. The Lords of Fate, I've set up a Facebook and a Google Plus page for those, so you'll be able to leave comments and I'll, I'll post when shows go live on there also. And if you do want to get in touch with me over Twitter, you can use Teal Productions, T-E-A-L. What is Council of Geeks? Well, despite the name, it's actually just one kind of pretentious guy on YouTube who rants at camera a lot and just goes on and on about things like Doctor Who and Marvel movies and Star Wars and... I meant, once the Council of Geeks podcast feed? Oh, that. Well, it kind of depends on when it is you're looking at it. What does that mean? Well, it's been a lot of things at a lot of different times. Originally, it was just longer versions of roundtable talks that uh, the guy who runs the thing used to have. It was the home of 90s Comics Retrial for a while. Oh, I liked that show. Yeah, but, you know, then he did Executioner's Song and it broke him, so he doesn't do that anymore either. Oh. There was Go Home Hollywood, You're Drunk. Winner of the Relatively Geeky Networks Award for Best New Podcast in 2017. Yep, that's the one. That's over, too. His co-host had a kid, and, well, he didn't bother ever trying to find somebody else. Oh. So what is it now? Well, at the moment, it is home to see a space cowboy, where he is just going back through Cowboy Bebop and uh, taking it one episode at a time, putting his thoughts up after not having seen the thing in about 15 years. Okay. Well, what will it be after he's done with that? Stick around, and maybe you'll find out what's next. Or catch up on the old stuff. It's still there. This is a very strange promotion. Yeah, well, he's a strange guy. This is a fan-produced, not-for-profit podcast. No copyright infringement is intended, and any use of copyrighted materials believed to be covered under fair use. If you don't agree, you can go straight to hell!